Inside 20, for those who desire to hunt close. Brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia, Big Jim's Bow Company, Gunshy Archery, Vantage Point Archery, Custom Kings Traditional Archery, and Triple T Strings. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared from each podcast are the beliefs of the Inside 20 associates and the guests participating. Tonight, we're going to spend our time talking turkey season recap and deer season prep. Joining us in that discussion are two special guests who have been producing not only content that keeps the audience coming back for more, but more importantly, provides wisdom that has produced better hunters. We'd like to introduce Ethan Rodriguez and Dalton Lewis from the Stick Boys. How are y'all tonight? Doing well, doing hey well. Guys. Hey, let's start. Let's start this off right, man. It's actually Roderick, but that's hilarious. You said Roderick. <laughs> all of my friends that's, will get a huge kick out of that. So don't edit it out. Leave it so in there. <laughs> I thought it was Rodriguez too. Thanks, my <laughs> day, man. Dude, everybody does. Everybody that was Dalton. Uh, sent that. Literally every Dalton. time we do anything, it's not your fault. It's every time we do anything. It's hey, Rodriguez. Man. Look, you, just, you just hear him. I, I could hear him. I know he didn't say anything, but I, I know his face is enough. I've done enough podcasts. I know his face. I know what he was thinking, hearing, saying. Oh, it was great. That's it's hilarious. Man, I, it, it's funny. It's funny. I'll tell this real quick. But growing up in South Louisiana, that's a, that's a somewhat common name and never had an issue with it. And I got in the military and everybody was like, Rodriguez, Rodriguez. And I was like, man, how many six foot one Mexican dudes do y'all know? And and it That's quickly great. I quickly realized that everybody thinks it's it's so I'll, I'll answer anything it doesn't bother me but I, I just thought it was funny that's a great way to kick it off. Oh, a good it lie. Is. It wasn't even planned. So that's even better, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Now, thanks for having us on, guys. We appreciate it and looking forward to it. Uh, we're excited about it. We really are. And and what y'all produce uh, from the Stick Boys side, I know that most of the people that are probably going to listen to this have probably heard a, a number of your podcasts. And if they haven't, then they need to go check it out. But we're just thankful for everything that y'all stand for and just uh, what you bring to the table for traditional bow hunting. Well, yeah, I appreciate kind words, man. We're just just a couple rednecks doing redneck stuff and uh, having much. fun while we're doing it. That's, that's what that's it's all about. Heck yeah. yeah. If we ever lose that vibe, man, come caught quick and take up something stupid like golf. But yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'll go that far, but I'll yeah, I'm not going golf. there. It'll be just as frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> let's begin, Dalton. First, let's hear from you. Can you share this high level? how you began traditional bow hunting oh uh, yeah it's uh <clears throat> it's not real complicated we uh uh when, I, when my uh my mom told my dad she was pregnant he went out and made me a uh a self bow and he he had been a you know he taught himself how to bow hunt and uh so he obviously was gonna teach that to me and and he went and got me a self bow made me a self bow and when i came out i had a bow <laughs> so i shot and uh, did did pretty well as far as you know. I was just a kid. I shot all the time and uh, pretty good. Apparently, according to dad, I shot pretty good and even parted my grandma's hair with an arrow one time because she thought it was cute that I had a bow and that apparently made me mad. But <laughs> uh, so I was addicted <laughs> at a young age to, to slinging arrows and uh, I I did like a lot of people. I, uh, I was little as a kid. I didn't hit my growth spurt until like mid high school. Um, so to, in order to get a get to draw a weight that i could hunt with i uh, bumped over to the compound world um, when i was a kid and uh ended up hunting with a a little uh 40 pound uh pse nova one of those old i feel like every bow hunter has one has had one of those pse nova compounds like old school um i probably have people listening that's like oh dude i know that bow <laughs> uh, but those things are like the most popular things ever but i started off with one of them and uh that's kind of what got me into bow hunting um and uh took a bunch of deer with it and here in the mountains um in my part of the mountains anyway we got a, a ton of deer and it's probably probably to do with christmas trees more than anything but we got a ton of deer and um so i filled a bunch of tags with it and to be honest with you i kind of got bored um and and just and kind of was it was losing its luster and uh, i watched barry wenzel kill a, a 10 point with a with a recurve in texas south texas on a mossy oak back when uh, hunting, there was hunting on ESPN2 on Sunday morning. And uh, I watched that, and I'd always had a stick bow, always shot stick bows, stuff like that too, but I just hunted with my compound. And 
I saw that and I was like, I think that might put the fun back into it. And so I, I got a recurve and, uh, <clears throat> you know, practiced with it all, all year and took it that fall and, uh, killed a little doe and she probably didn't weigh 70 pounds, but she was heavy enough to hook this old boy for life. And, uh, when I got a hold of that fun and got that sort of got that fire back and it felt like a kid again. And, and that's how sort of how I got into it. And then it's, it's kind of blossomed from there and I uh, don't really, don't really do anything else. Um, as far as hunting goes other than stick bow hunt now. Um, so it's, it's been a good time. I, I've really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's kind of how it's kind of, I guess it was kind of by accident, kind of by design, but either way it worked out and I'm just enjoying the ride. So do you yeah. still have your, um, your bow that your daddy made you? Uh, no, no, that thing, the last, there's a picture of me with it. Um, <clears throat> it probably would have been in like 96 or 97, 98, maybe. I don't know. But uh, I'm, I it duct taped up because it had a hinge and I think it felt the hinge and broke. Apparently I had duct taped it as a kid and dad had taken a doe and it was laying there on the driveway and I was shooting it with my dowel rod arrow over and over again. Of course, I was like <laughs> three years old. I mean, I was a little bit baby kid, you know. And, uh, so everywhere was just bouncing off of it and I go get the air and shoot again, bounce air. And it was uh, pretty bad. <laughs> they got, they got picture and video of me doing that. So that was about the last time I ever saw that bow or it hurt. And I don't know what happened after that. I know I had a bunch since then, but I wish I still had that thing, but I don't know where it's at. <clears throat> That's pretty cool, man. I bought my son a, yeah. my son's 10 months old and I bought him for when he gets old enough to shoot. I bought him a Damon Howitt, little John and. It's pretty cool his name's okay. jonathan so i thought that was i thought that was nice. cool when i saw it i was like yeah hey, i gotta get that yeah yeah that's nice. all awesome. yeah i wish i was more sentimental like that like my, nobody in my family is sentimental like i had to get my we're going on a bear hunt here in a couple of weeks and had to get my passport stuff done and i had to call my dad and ask him his birthday like like how old he was <laughs> i don't remember and like none of us have ever been sentimental so that kind of thing is just like it did just it just disappeared like you know but i wish i was more like that i try to make an effort now more to be a little better better for that than you know especially with clementine but <clears throat> i think it's a guy thing a lot of it's a guy yeah thing probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can see that yeah it's it's but, tough my wife always tells me where's my empathy at when it comes to yeah. just uh she wants me to feel some kind of emotions in the story she's telling me it's yeah. tough it it is, but that that the drive and the uh, the motivation uh, that you display and like the stuff that you talk about and produce. I mean, that the fire is obviously still there, which is we can all yeah. relate to that, man. It's just it's it's hard to put it in yeah, words. That, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of why I started it, really. Um, and why I started filming was just I don't know. I just I didn't like what I saw in the outdoor industry at all, like as far as videos and what was being produced and and. I just, I don't know, I didn't, it didn't, I remember watching those old hunting videos, like the old primetime bucks, old uh, real tree, all of them, it didn't really matter which one, but you'd go get it every like August, they would have the new edition at Walmart, and when you go, it would be like eight hunts, but it would be like a two-hour DVD, or not DVD, two-hour VHS, or hour D VHS, something like that, and from those eight hunts, you saw the entire experience, like you saw them driving there, you saw them shooting you saw like why they're sitting in this stand kind of like what they're doing and then they would hunt you'd, you'd they'd take a deer or whatever sometimes they wouldn't even kill a deer which is like unheard of these days to be on the content and um and you know they would do that and i just enjoyed that so much that's part of the reason why i if i'm not shooting turkey feathers i'm shooting white feathers and i swear it's because i grew up watching primetime bucks and i always had white rats with white feathers and i always really thought that was really slick and so i'm always drawn to that but then somewhere about high school about the time that i started my mindset started switching really hardcore um you know i went to walmart and that same dvd now had like 48 kills is what was advertised i mean literally on the cover i still had it somewhere it said 48 kills and i'm like oh cool this is gonna be like a five hour dvd you know this is gonna be awesome and and it was just it was literally like 30 second shot clips is all it was mm. and that's when i was just like <clears throat> that's not that's not what i'm about like that's not why i do it i don't do it just for the five second rush you know it's more about everything that goes on with it and so that's kind of kind of what drew me to pick up a camera and um and 
and kind of kind of look at it from that aspect and um but that passion that you see um <laughs> that i know a lot, I, i've actually never really had anybody accuse me of it being fake but if anybody ever thinks it's fake man if anything it's toned way down like i can't tell you how many times that i've been shaking there's a dough honestly and when people watch or if, if, when people listen to this they always go back and watch the video just to see what i'm talking about but i shot a doe a couple years ago on opening day and like this is like the year after i killed beast deer in my life do all this stuff and I was so excited, but I killed a doe on opening day here in North Carolina. I was shaking so bad that the first take of like the exit, you couldn't understand anything I was saying. Like I was just like blubbering. And I kind of sat down and looked at the camera and I was like, oh my gosh, I know I couldn't understand anything I just said. And so I like paused, you know, I hit, I hit the, I hit the record button again, stopped it and then started over. Cause I was like, well, maybe this time if I'm calmed down enough, I can actually understand what I'm saying. So it was even toned down, but no, that fire and uh, and love and passion of it going. That if I ever lose that, like I said, I'm gonna hang it up, man, because that's what it's about for me. But that cold weather <laughs> and that adrenaline rush will uh, it'll make you shaky, won't it? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it make you make you not be able to make no sense. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're right about that. It's uh, it's it's amazing, man. It's hard to describe in words the way that you get, but I guess once you lose that like you said earlier you might have to pick up something else hopefully that ever happens though yeah yeah and that and honestly like you said you know circling all the way back to that first question that's a lot of the reason why i picked up stick bow again you know full time was just because i didn't have that with compound anymore i remember i'd i shot a doe and i shot and set, shot several does that year because in our area there's a lot of christmas tree growers and i would get permission to hunt these farms and these farmers they it ain't hey i want you in here deer hunt there ain't no hunting involved. They want them killed. They want them. This is a business for them. They're costing them money. They want them dead. They don't want you in there, you know, holding out for big bucks. So they don't, they want, they want results. And, um, and so the, a lot of it, you know, I'd killed several deer that year just because of that. Like you got to, and, um, I just remember shooting that doe and it was just like, there was just nothing there. Like I was just like, well, there's some more work to do. You know, I had to put the pin on it, squeeze and she's like a shot her with a rifle and, um, I was like, I just, I just didn't do anything for me. And that's, that's when I really started getting scared because that's, I know how I am. And if that was gone, then, you know, I, I, I'll put it down, you know, cause it's just, it wasn't there anymore. So circling all the way back, but that, that, that's there with a stick bow that just wasn't with anything else. So I don't know if that makes sense or not. I'm no, not, it does. It's complicated, a, but. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great point. It's a great testimony, especially for anybody that listens to any of this and they're ever, you know, feeling like the, the same feeling that you felt whatever they're hunting with if they have not tried hunting with a traditional bow that might be the answer to their uh their need for medication in the next step right yeah i've actually heard that quite a bit um just from talking to folks across the country whether it be at a, a show like etar or um you know really anything or just talking to guys on public land. i was talking to some guys in georgia actually on public land like not too long ago um this winter and they immediately, you know, started talking and they were, they were kind of expressing the same interest. And I was like, Hey, you know, give it a try. You know, I was on a podcast a few weeks ago with a guy, um, and he's, he's getting ready to, to take the plunge. And it, it was the same story, you know, the exact same thing. It's just like, well, I'm just not getting out of it what I used to. And I, I want to find that again. So I don't, I think it's pretty common. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's a natural progression, to be honest with you. Um, is, I think if yeah. you don't have that progression, then you've probably got, yeah, I'm not saying everybody should hunt stick bow, but I don't. I think if you don't have some sort of progression, you're probably you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, if there's not some yeah. sort of progression, I agree with that. Need to, like to evolve a little bit, whether that's moving up on age class on the animal you're chasing, or whether that's making things more difficult, or you know, whatever it is. I feel like there should be an evolution there. But yeah, hundred percent. I completely agree with that. All right, Rodriguez, what about you? How did it all start? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ethan, how did it start for you? <laughs> uh, well, man, I, uh, my dad was a, was a bow hunter uh, long before I was born and kind of like Dalton there. And, and uh, you know, I, I tell people, uh, I, I still have my first bow that like my, my first real bow, which was a little Ben Pearson Colt. But prior to that, man, I had, I couldn't tell you what my first bow was, you know, just, just always had a bow in my hand, always shooting. And, uh, man, everybody in my family, like none of us, no one followed, really followed football or baseball. It, we just hunted. That's just what we did. So it was just kind of natural. Um, 
and then hunting with compounds and, and rifles a lot as well. Um, dad was always a bow hunter. So that was always a huge part of life around the house. Um, and got a little older and started playing sports and started chasing girls and all that sort of thing. And kind of got somewhat, you know, priority shift a little bit and I joined the military. And then when I got out, um, I was able, I realized how much I missed hunting and I was able to start hunting again. And all of my family was still in South Louisiana and I was up here in Tennessee and hunted and it was just a little bit different. You know, you didn't have the, that, that whole family thing going on. And, uh, it just, it felt different. And my dad actually made me a bow. Um, I was probably, I don't know, 23 or so when I, I, it was like a little bit of a gap. And then he made that bow and I started shooting it. And I was like, man, this is, it kind of gave all that, all of those feelings and, and, and uh drive kind of came back with that you know and and ever since then it's just been just full tilt and that's that's all i really think about or want to do and i always joke and tell everybody man i'd, I'd hunt gorillas at walmart if they'd open the season i, I don't really care what it is i just want to go hunt um and just be in the woods and and you know it's i think dalton hit on something that's important about progression and i feel that traditional bow hunting it's for some people and it ain't for some people but if it's for you and you get into this man i you're probably never going to look back and uh it's a it's a journey for sure but it's it sure is a fun one and it's a lot of enjoyment that comes out of it i've said multiple times that if if i lay down the stick bow it's i'm going to be done hunting i don't i just don't think there's yeah i don't think there's anything else out there for me i just enjoy it so much i mean all the way down to building arrows and going in the backyard and shooting my bow to getting out there hunting. Sure. I mean, it's just different. So I can definitely relate sure. to that. And and I think I can speak for all of us when I say that anyone listening to this, we're not by any stretch of the imagination trying to disparage anybody that hunts with a rifle or a compound or anything like that. It's not that I, I know personally, it's not that I need the extra challenge. It's just, that's just what I want to do. You know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with that other stuff, but that's just, just not i don't i don't have any interest in it um at all you know i just i just want to bow hunt that's it with the shoot things with a recurve or a longbow and and just go have adventures with it you know and that's first and foremost yeah absolutely absolutely i completely what, agree what people have to understand is when it feels like we're trying to maybe it may come across as uh looking down on or or cutting somebody short that's hunting with a a crossbow or a rifle or a compound it's the passion that's bleeding through for the stick bow and that like how much we love it and we've experienced it and it's so difficult to put that passion into words other than like you need to try it like you need to give it a try you can try it at least one time and or if you don't you decide you don't ever want to go back to it that's fine but you gotta at least give it a shot 100 percent hundred yep. percent. You want everybody to, everybody to experience it, you know, even if you don't, you know, even if you're not successful with it, just, just go out there with it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It is. And, and I'll, I'll say this as well. It, you know, I have nothing against compound bows, but I will say at the, at the risk of sounding, you know, the big elitist word there, but at the, at the risk of sounding that way, I will say that, that what those guys do and what we do, it's it's just different it is a lot different it's a lot more of a challenge not saying it doesn't take skill not saying that it's just a different discipline altogether and like you said it's you know you hit the nail on the head with the it's the passion coming through because we just get so much enjoyment out of it you know and and you you can go back to i don't know anybody that hunts with a stick bow or that shoots a stick bow that doesn't shoot it all year long constantly whether you're shooting bumblebees out in the yard or you're chasing groundhogs or my gosh i've hunted frogs i've spent hours hunting frogs you know hunting bullfrogs at night with a, with a little 30 pound longboat just it's just fun and mm-hmm. it's just it's the passion bleeding through and it's again it's not trying to say we're better it's just we're really excited about what we do and it's and it's just fun no 100 percent Yep, I can agree with that. So I kind of want to get into some meat now that deer season's um, right around the corner. I want to talk to y'all about what y'all are doing to prepare, if anything. Um, 
Are when when are y'all going to start scouting, looking around, knocking on doors? Uh, most of my scouting, I th- I feel like I do um, late late deer season around December. I honestly do a lot more scouting than hunting. And then after season, I do a lot of scouting. This time of year, I I sort of scout when I'm hiking or or trail running or whatever. And I, I will go do a few put a few cameras out of that type of thing. But most of my scouting, I feel like, is after deer season and then just right before deer season. Um, I say right before, maybe like a month before, and then I try to let everything just little let it kind of rest and soak for a few weeks, you know, prior to the season and opening. Um, but right now, just uh, shooting, constantly looking at maps, constantly looking at aerial photographs. And as far as knocking on doors, I, I will say this, and it's interesting you brought this up because I had a conversation with my son-in-law the other day. He's at that stage where he's he's knocking on doors, and that's awesome. I admire that. I used to do that. But to be truthful with you, I've gotten to the point now where I almost feel like if, if it, someone can hunt the ground, if it's private and someone can hunt it, somebody's already hunting it so knocking on i don't i don't get very far knocking on doors every once in a while i'll get an opportunity that'll come up and i, I do have an opportunity to hunt some private ground coming up this year I'm not real sure what that's all about yet i got to do some do some scouting on that i've done a little there but um I, most of what i hunt is is public ground um in a lot of the areas I, I feel like i know them pretty well and a lot of the scouting is just kind of to to reaff, reaff, reaffirm i guess or maybe you know you're always looking for new spots but just trying to fill in it i almost feel like it's a it's a, a big puzzle and even though i'm looking at the same puzzle i'm constantly trying to get new pieces for that puzzle if that makes any sense yeah absolutely absolutely it does so tell me a little more about the christmas tree farms and i mean is, is that covered up with folks um come deer season it's uh yes and no. I'm not really interested in the Christmas tree farms to be honest with you. I'm more interested because a mature buck is not going to be in that Christmas tree field before dark and honestly he's not even going to be close to it before dark most of the time. So I'm not all that interested in hunting the field and most of the farmers own the field up to the fence which is 6 foot from the last row. And what I want to hunt is the little old lady that wouldn't sell sell out behind it that's got a nasty thicket or got a nasty something and there's some kind of terrain feature that's in there. And so if I'm going to knock on doors, which I've done and have had pretty and have had success, um, I've had more success over the phone, and I guess I'm more of a millennial, but I've had more success through the Internet and over the phone than I've had uh, in just knowing people than I have knocking on doors. Um so, for example, the last couple of years ago, one of my favorite—I guess it's been—gosh, it's been four years now. Um, I, I like riding the roads. Whenever uh, in July, late July, early August, are some of my favorite times because I'll jump in the truck with a, you know, cup of coffee, my binoculars, and I'm riding the back roads like crazy, scouting deer. And you know, I'll see, I'll see deer. They'll be out in these fields where they can start dropping. I'll, you know, they'll be out in these fields eating, and you can see them and you know, you a lot of people will run and go ask that farmer, hey, can I hunt this? Well, that deer is there in late July. Like, that does me no good in September or October. I don't, that, that means nothing. He's not going to be in that field in September and October. But he is going to be in that general area. So if I can get on, you know, if I can get like on, on Spark Forge and zing, zoom back and start piecing together, okay, you know, the other side of that is nothing but hayfield onto a housing development. I know he's not bedding in the housing development. I know he's not bedding in that hayfield. So he's got to be bedded in this area somewhere. Now, if I can find some food that correlates to that bed on the way to that big green field, which I know is a destination source, not really hunting the destination source, I'm hunting them on the way to it, then I want to find that piece of ground and go knock on the door. Because one place four years ago, I, you know, there was a bachelor group of four bucks, all four of them, you know, nothing, nothing amazing here in the mountains. We don't, with our, with our North Carolina laws, as annoying as they are, um, you know, most deer are killed by two and a half because we have a rifle season that comes in at the beginning of November and stays till January. It's incredibly frustrating, and I'm not going to run that rabbit, but I want to so bad. But um, with those laws, you know, deer just don't live very long. The bucks don't. So, you know, if we, if I can find those bucks, what I'm trying to say is if I can find those bucks, I want to hunt in their bedding area. So when I did that, I saw that they were there glassing from the field i got to looking on spark board i saw that uh i saw a name that looked familiar and i was like huh 
I wonder if that's the same name of that kid I teach what happens to be the cousin or whatever, somebody that I work with, made a couple phone calls. It was. Well, it was only 22 acres. That place is dynamite because it's 22 acres of nasty surrounded by Christmas trees and hay. So if I'm going to knock on doors, I'm going to knock on that 22 acres is what I'm looking for. So I'm going to be doing a ton of cyber scouting before I go through the trouble to even try to figure it out because I'm not interested in hunting 95% of properties. Like just because you can't kill a mature buck outside of the rut in a lot of places people hunt, you know, consistently. Um, so that's a long-winded answer, but that tells you I'm extremely crazy and will think way too deep about things like that. <laughs> no, that's, I think that's uh, spot on and in, in the time you're going to spend. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that that, that method is, uh, is, is useful during that time, that summertime when you're not really close yeah. yet to deer season, but uh, then the really difference here is that we're not able really to drive around and see deer. I mean, you might see some deer in some fields late in the afternoon, you know, right before dark. But uh, I don't think uh, like the widespread, you know, Christmas tree farms are in existence like they are where you're at. But, but next, let me ask you this. So you, you say you get that permission on that 22 acre thicket, right? What What is yeah. next steps? Are you going in there and putting some cameras in place? Are you walking around? Are you leaving alone until you get closer to September? Like what, what is the next best step in your, in your opinion? I hate giving this answer because I, I feel like I give it on every podcast I'm on, but it's the old political standby of it depends. It, it totally depends. And I say that because if, if I've hunted near there and I know what to expect, then I'm more likely to stay out of there. But if I've never been in there, like let's say like this place, for example, um, it, it's, it's not far from my house, 15, 20 minutes from my house. And um, I know the lady that owns it. She doesn't care that I'm in there. It's not one of them deals where it's anybody's weird about it or anything like that. So, what I did there, I had never set foot on it, but I knew from the way the map set up that this was a dynamite spot. I just had to figure out where I needed, where my butt needed to be. And I waited on a nasty storm. And when it came a nasty storm, and I actually, I found a shed that day there. I did an Instagram live or a video. Like I was, I forget what we're doing, something, something was scouting. And uh, it just, it, I waited on a storm and I waited and waited on that on that forecast to get to like 100 percent and when i saw it coming in the cloud i knew it wouldn't take me 30 minutes to get through there and just kind of check up mentally check off does this look like what i think it looks like and i busted through there and i timed it perfectly and i've done that in several places and right as soon as i leave man it's come frog strangler and that's i don't know that that helps anything i mean there's no telling they i may have blew them out anyway but <laughs> if i can help it even in the summer I don't want to blow them out. Like, I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to blow them out. So if I got a chance to do something like that, that's what I'll do. Um, but as far as going straight in there, it just depends on, it depends on the spot. If it's, you know, like I said, if, if I've hunted an adjoining property and like this one place, I picked up a place this year to hunt that happened to be principal at another school in my school system that I just happened to see at the Red Mexican restaurant. Things was right. I coached his daughter in volleyball. And I ended up getting permission to hunt it. I'm not going to set foot in there until bow season because I've hunted the properties adjoining it. So I know what's in there. I know what it looks like. I know not that I've been over there trespassing, but I know what what it sets up when it needs to be, when you need to be hunting it. And I kind of already know. So that would be a situation where I stay out of there in the summer. But again, yeah. it just it just depends on depends on a lot of different factors. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's good. And do you feel like I, for us personally, uh, where we're at, at least the way I feel, it takes me probably a good, you know, two to three years to figure out a property, you know, pretty consistent, like, you know, after you've been in there for a while and hunted. Yeah, most of the time, I, can I think get, that's I can almost universal. Yeah, I, I can get, I've, I've said it before in a video, I can get in the right stadium almost from the map. Like, I can get pretty darn close a lot of the times. That's not to say that I don't strike out a whole lot because I do, but. I can get in the right stadium pretty quick, but it does take two, three, four years to figure out that right seat. And that right seat can change year to year based on your acorns, acorns based on bedding, based on if there's a, they cut timber next to it, based on if, you know, your white oaks hit versus your red oaks versus your chestnut oaks uh, versus no oaks at all. And they're hitting grass. Um, a lot can change, but you're right. I do think there is something to that three, four years when you can really, really dial in on this is, this is where I want to be right here. But especially with stick you know, bugs, Dalton hit on something, yeah. Dalton hit on something when he said, you know, it depends about that being a political answer, but in all 
honestly, it really, really does. And I think a lot of people get tied up or, or talk about tactics, which that's fine. But the thing about tactics is if Bob kills a deer using this tactic, it's because that tactic fit that particular scenario, but can't, it's not a plug and play thing. You've got to, like Dalton said, you've got to, you got to have a general idea of, of where you need to start, depending on the way the terrain lays, the way the vegetation lays, the, the cutovers, the thickets, the feed, the whole nine yards. But you got to sort of, I don't know if, you, if probe would be the right answer, but there's times to be aggressive and you're like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust in here and I'm going to find where I'm going to hunt and set up. And then there's times like, you know what, I've heard people use the term observation stand. I don't look at that as an observation stand. Like I'm going to sit 300 yards back and see what's going on. But there's a lot of times I'm like, you know what? I think I need to probably be over here, but I'm going to sit here for a day or two and kind of see what things are, how things are playing out, and how things are happening. So I think that the the whole thing about tactics and the whole thing about you know these answers, it all depends because every situation is a little bit different. Whether it's the hunting pressure is different whether it's somebody else hunting that ground, not necessarily hunting pressure, but someone else hunting there. Um, like Dalton said, that seat may be right here in this tree this year, but next year, you know, maybe a tree fell 50 yards away and it opened up a little more sunlight. And now that wide oak getting a lot more sun and that was producing better acorns this year or, or a thicket got cut or, or grew up or whatever, you know, so you have to be able to adapt and you got to be able to recognize when, when and where to apply these quote unquote tactics and try to play the game. It's almost like playing the long game, you know? Yeah, it sure is. Um, it's just a cat and mouse game and you know, that's what, that's what makes it fun. You know, you never know what to expect. <laughs> you know, I think yeah, that's what that, it's all about right there. Yeah, you're right. It's, it is, a, it is a cat and mouse, but I'll tell you one thing. If, if I don't have, if I don't think that there's a better, then good chance that I'm going to be in the game that night. I'm not going up that tree. I'm going to go home and play with my little girl. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, because anytime you're in the woods, that's one. That's that's an experience. That's If he comes through, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, the first, you know, Nathan's with us now. He's part, Nathan Killen's with us now. He's part of Sick Boys and, you know, his videos and stuff. But at the first time we ever had him on the podcast, he said something that just, like, wrecked my world. Inside 20 is brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more information. And by Big Jim Bow Company, the place for custom bows, handmade leather goods, and much more to meet your traditional archery needs. Check them out at bigjimbowcompany.com. Gunshy Archery, the perfect custom-made quiver for both two- and three-blade broadheads. Check them out at gunshyarchery.com. VPA Broadheads, precision machined one-piece broadheads, Two and three blade mode is available. Check them out at vparchery.com. Custom King Archery. The best price on the best traditional archery products since 1972. Check them out at customkingarchery.com. Triple T Strings. Created champion level Flemish and endless strings for hunters and target shooters using the best materials. Check them out at TTT Strings on Facebook. And he's like, a lot of people don't realize the damage they do after dark and, and and he didn't say it exactly like that he he is different wording but what he said was like your residual scent is there it's there all night it's there yep. for probably a couple of days unless the conditions are right to get it out of there and he's like so you know if, if he comes through at three o'clock in the morning and you've left there in a rush at 7 30 because you were late for supper your wife is blowing your phone up and you were in a hurry and so you're sweaty and nasty and you're busting stuff touching stuff on the way out well right there there's an encounter and that buck knows you're there and so if i'm if i'm going to go in somewhere and if i'm going to i'm going to make it count and in other words i'm going to try to sit where i can kill him and like i know that that's probably really aggressive but once a buck knows you're there and in, and that doesn't go i feel like we get off on bucks a whole lot on our podcast maybe more of the so than we mean to as far as mature bucks go but once deer know you're there they're a completely different animal and like all the scouting in the world you can do that's great but you go through there one time and you know a seven-year-old doe with a six-foot nose figures out where what you're doing or that you've been there everything's different and 
your life is a lot more difficult than the next time. So those observation sits are fine, but they better be out of the green zone because yeah. if, if you're in there, that's that's wasting the time. That's wasting one one you know experience. And I think Alan said it one time. Alan Altizer said it one time. And that's somebody y'all need to get on your podcast, Alan Altizer. That's the dangest bow hunter I've ever met in my life. Um, he's probably a wizard. The, the, I think he's probably, like, honest to God, I think he's probably top 10 bow hunter of all time in human history. But, anyways, he, like, he said, he said a lot of times one experience, one bad experience is okay if they win and things are fine. But it, if it happens twice, it's, it's a pattern. And he knows that. Yeah. And so that's, that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize is, you know, these critters are so much smarter than we give them credit for. Like we act like, and the outdoor channel acts like if you go sit on a green field somewhere, you will kill a giant and it will not take long. And you know that, but that's just, that's, we don't give them near enough credit for the things they're doing. Like I, I've sat in tree stand before and watched. It took a lot of years, an embarrassing amount of years, to realize half the time that you hear that doe blowing or that deer blowing 600 yards away, and you're like rolling your eyes, going, "Sucks for that guy." You know, you're sitting there in public, and you're like, "I didn't even know somebody was hunting over there." Yeah, she's blowing at you most of the time, and like, you, it took me a long time to realize that because of, with thermals and wind currents, things like that. And um, but see, that that's an encounter, and so that's if I'm going in somewhere. I think I'm going to get the opportunity is, is what I'm trying to say. And that don't mean that don't mean that I'm set, that I'll hunt three times a year waiting on the perfect conditions. That just means that I'll go hunt somewhere else or I'll go to a different spot and fill the freezer or something like that. But. Yeah. You got to be selective a hundred percent. And not only just from like picking the right spot to go to where you're not going to blow it out. I mean, the, some of the best hunts are the first or second hunt into a spot, you know, in, going into the year. And I think that's why, yeah. I've preached on this. I feel like it's, it's super important to have multiple plot spots together, whether it's a big track of land that you can hunt different parts of that property or multiple small tracks of land or a mixture of both, but have stuff that you can space out to like where, it, you know, it sets up better later in the year and you, you don't go in there early year and mess around. You wait till later in the year when that property is going to be, it's going to produce something that is worth going in for. But then also too, as you progress in life and uh and stuff changes with your uh dedication to your, your professional life and you, you have kids and yeah. you're married uh, you got to be selective at the end of the day it's a balance if you especially if you want to have a good relationship with your spouse which is super important right and there's other things in life that you know to so take priority over going to the woods and it is it's a it's hard. It's like, it's flipping a coin. It's funny. There's been times and trail cameras, uh, I do use them and, and they do, uh, they do make you, you regret some of your decisions or make you, you know, I feel like make bad decisions, but there's been times where you're like, well, we'll go do this on this day. Like if it's family related and then yeah. I'll go hunt on this day and you might change it last minute. And then of course he shows up or, you know, there's deer that show up and you're like, golly, I, I guess I picked wrong. I should have flipped the coin. I should have done that. But it's just, it's, <laughs> It's a fun game. It really is. You've got to enjoy those, those, uh, if you call them losses or not, you got to enjoy, enjoy those, uh, those experiences when it you know, maybe doesn't fall your way necessarily. Yeah. Well, one thing that's always made me feel better. And, and one thing that Alan and I talked about is, you know, you get those pictures or you find those pictures on your trail camera when you go check it or whatever later, you know, you check it a week or two weeks, three weeks later, whatever. And you're like, Oh my gosh. I could hunt either Monday or Tuesday, and we went out to dinner on Monday instead of Tuesday, and I didn't see nothing Tuesday, and he was there Monday. And you're like, golly, you know, I, I completely screwed up. But the truth is, a lot of times he's there because everything was in his favor, and you would have been busted if you would have been there. He would have never yep. been there if you were yep. there, so to speak. So a lot of times you'll see those, and you'll be like, oh, man. But then the truth is, in reality, you didn't lose anything. Actually, you, you, you didn't take an L. You had definitely got the dub on that one because he does still doesn't know you're there. And before, you know, if you would have been in there pushing it, um, a lot of times it's there. One thing I've learned, too, you know, you're talking about balance. One thing I've learned in the last couple of years is <laughs> I don't know. People, people watch these YouTube videos and they think, oh, man, that's, you know, that's, 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 that's easier. They got it figured out or they – Man, it ain't nobody knows how much time tree stand time goes into that. Like I hunt <laughs> literally every evening. Like after we're at three o'clock, I've usually got my stuff, and I'm usually busting out the door. You know, I I, I can leave school at, at you know three fifteen, three thirty. I'm busting out the door, 
you know, everything's in my truck and I'm hitting the woods and I'm doing that every evening. And so like, there has to be a balance. And that's one thing with Clementines came along that's taught me is I can't burn it like I used to. Like, man, there's, there's been years that I've made it through September without missing a day or without missing some sort of hunt, whether it was a morning hunt or an evening hunt. Um, and, and you just can't do that. And one thing I've figured out is it's actually been a little bit better because I've enjoyed my time more than burning myself out quick and burning, you know, burning the deer out. Because as much as I scout as many properties as I've been lucky enough to get permission to hunt on, you still burn everything out pretty quick. So it's, it's, yeah. it, those, those breaks are good. They're hard to swallow sometimes, but they're good. And they're, they're better for you and the deer, honestly. But, yep. When you're forced to be selective on your days, um, it seems like you would make wiser decisions. I'm going to have to be forced to be selective, um, I guess, for the next 18 years or at least until I can take Jonathan <laughs> with me. So um, yeah. that's going to be a good thing because I'm I'm like you guys, you know, if there is an opportunity and it's not pouring down rain, I'm, I'm going to the woods. But I think it'll yeah. be good to um, just slow it down and, and um, pick my days, as you say. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah I think it, it just gets to a point where you realize you got to hunt smarter and not necessarily harder. Not saying you can't hunt hard. Yeah, absolutely. You got to start weighing more things into it. You know, you got to be yep. selective and, and kind of long range plan. You know, I've got I've yeah. got to get this done around the house, or me and the wife have to do this or whatever. And you start picking those days, and you look at the weather forecast, and you're like, you know what, I should probably do that this day because this front's coming in this day or or what have you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's one thing. Absolutely. That's one thing that's been really painful the last couple of years. And I don't, I assume it's been the same way in Georgia, but the last couple of years, the weather has been just absolutely awful. It's been terrible. It, it mm-hmm. has killed me. Um, it, it, it's killed me from early season all the way up to, you know, all the way through the season. I mean, you know, last year we waiting five years for that Iowa tag draw it last year. And it's, you know, Daggum 83 degrees, 65 at daylight for 14 days. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you do with that? There's no yeah, tactic, tactic really. There's nothing you, I mean, you can do the best you can, but it ain't, I mean, you know, the, the likelihood of anybody having any success is, is pretty low, you know? And so that's, that's another part of it. It's really hard not to get frustrated, but that traveling has helped me. You know, one thing people don't realize is it's, you can go a lot of places to hunt on a little money. You know, you put a camper top on your truck and put a yoga mat in there and a sleeping bag and get yourself a little something to cook on. And, you know, you can go hunt these states. You know, there's a lot of states that your non-resident license is 150 bucks, you know, 175 bucks for your non-resident license and a buck tag. So if I look at the forecast and I, you know, if I, if I've got time and I'm really wanting to get after it and I look here and it's like, you know, it's October and it's going to be 82 degrees and Southeast wind. And it's like, Oh my gosh, what is going on? But then I may look at an Ohio forecast or I may look at a West Virginia forecast or a, you know, whatever. And it's, you know, it's not all that far of a drive and it's like, Oh, this looks a lot better there. So that gives you more options. That's one thing that I've leaned on in the past and, and done well, especially in Ohio is you kind of got two forecasts to play with for the weekend. Good. Trying to make anyways, point is just trying to make as much, uh, trying to take advantage as much hunting time as you can you know within reason and being able to balance everything but that's it ethan i want to talk about some public land around just how do you approach when you go somewhere if you've got a spot that's got you know maybe more hunters than what you expected uh when you're when you're there if you're spending the weekend or the week there you know what what's what's the tactic you go into another piece of public land you go into your private land what's what is uh what's the, the steps in that what I typically do, uh, whether there's pressure or not, I try to go places other people don't. And I almost feel like a, most people are going to walk, depending on, on the terrain, you know, most people are going to go anywhere from a couple hundred yards to maybe a half a mile, um, maybe three quarters. So my plan is I'll, I want to get well past where everybody else is or I want to hunt those little out of the way places that I've hunted and I've, I've killed deer where I could have thrown a baseball and, and hit a gravel road, but it was so thick and nasty that most people would look at it and be like, there's no way I'm going to hunt there. But a lot of times you find that's, that's where the animals are because of that, you know, 
um, there's a, there's a place I've got that I'll hunt early season it, every year that I've, we've lived up here for, uh, we've probably moved to this part of the state probably 15 years ago. Every year we've been here, myself or my dad or both of us have killed deer in the spot. There's a two man ladder stand there. And I don't know whose it is, but somebody hunts it during, let's say rifle season, man, once, once rifle season kicks in, there are no deer in that spot. None. But during bow season, it's just, it's thick. It's nasty. It's out of the way. It's a piece of public. That's it's, it's almost separated from the rest of the, of the state forest and it's overlooked. So I try to find places, like I said, that are, that are just overlooked, overlooked or nobody's willing to go. And there's a barrier there and whether that barrier is a Creek or a steep climb or just a long ways or whatever, I think you're putting yourself in the ball game because, you know, like Dalton said, these animals, these animals live there, man. They're, they're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And all the scouting we do, the things we see, those animals see way more than we're seeing because they see it every single day. So a lot of times if I see like a group of hunters, you know, there's a lot of traffic, let's say in, in this parking head, this parking area, this trailhead, I'll, I'll break out the map. I'll, I'll go to Spartan Forge or whatever. And I'll, I'll get on the, on the satellite imagery. And I'm like, you know what, if I was a deer and, and I was living here and everybody were coming in this way, I would probably do this. And I think if you're doing something different, a lot of the times you're going to, you're going to give yourself opportunities that a lot of people don't have because they're, they're just kind of doing the status quo. And typically I'm trying to find the, I like really thick, nasty stuff. I see a lot of these videos, these guys can see, you know, two, 300 yards away. And then most places I'm sitting, man, if I'm, when I see a deer, he's in bow range. I mean, I, I won't see him until he's in bow range. It's just really thick and nasty. And, and that's why they're there. It's all about cover. And, you know, the same yeah. thing here, like Dalton said in, in North Carolina, but here in Tennessee, our rifle season's just ridiculous. And if a deer makes it past three years old here, there's a really solid chance that deer's probably going to die of old age because he's picked up some things along the way that he knows how to stay away from people. And, yeah. you know, as, as simple as it sounds, I try to do do things differently than most everyone else is doing. And, and just uh, yeah. be able to adapt. Uh, there's a lot of times in November I will hunt all day, but I won't necessarily hunt the same spot all day. You know, if, if it's a situation where, hey, most people are, are hunting here in the evenings, whatever, maybe I'm going to I'm gonna sit here in the morning and then midday I'm going to move over here because I know some other people that might be coming up on this other trailhead or whatever, and they're going to push some deer. You know, just try to be strategic and use the other people that are hunting to your advantage as opposed to, being part of the issue that that makes any sense so so i've got a buddy uh he hunts a lot of public land around us and he's always telling me he's like man he's like i go straight to the check station and strike out walking he's like nobody goes there or he's like i'll park at the gate and i'll strike out walking and nobody goes there he's like it's just so overlooked and he's had a bunch of success so i guess it works for him i you know i i would overlook it so um you know i kind of get it yeah. The one thing, the one thing that I want to throw in right there is that is the way that five years ago and, and me as well, that's, that's my approach. Like that's my first thought is that's what I'm thinking, but I'm almost kind of like that dude on princess bride. Once you want to use talking about having a kid, you'll be watching this movie pretty soon, <laughs> but it's almost like the little, it's almost like the little goo with the curly hair. That's like, but I know that, you know, that I know that, you know, that, and so what I found like in Ohio, specifically Ohio is, you know, a lot of the places that are really deep, that's where you're running into people and where you think there's yep. not going to be people that's where there's people. And where you think it's like, Oh God, that's going to be made up with people. There ain't nobody there because they're looking at that map too. Everybody's got Onyx now. That mm-hmm. is a, or Spartan or hunt maps. There's like 10 of them now, but they've got one of those apps. They know what's public, what's private. They see everything that's there. They can read topo lines just like you can, and they can look at that and they could say, well, everybody's going to be going right here. I'm going there. And so, and then that's not discrediting that line of thinking. That's dead on that line of thinking. Um, but my, what I've adjusted to last year and, and what I did this year, like we were last weekend, uh, we were in Kentucky scouting last weekend. And um, there, what I did out there is 
I said the heck with pressure um, because there's one there's one part of the equation that's way more important than pressure that I've found the last few years, and that's deer. And if there's deer there, I'll work with pressure. I'll figure out what's going on with pressure. Um, I'm more concerned, are there deer there? And so what I'll, what I'll do is like this last weekend in Kentucky, I was looking at the maps and being like, okay, like nine different things come together right here in this area. And you can take this place that is absolutely ginormous and break it down. And like all of a sudden you start realizing, well, all of this dumps in together here. There's a bench above it. There's got to be sign on that. And then you can get there and you're covering a, you're covering a ton of ground on that one bench. And that's what that buck's doing, looking for those. My, my thing is I want to get there and see if there's deer because I want to be on deer. That's force first and foremost. I don't care if I have to go four miles in. I don't care if I have to go four feet in. Like I want there, to, there's got to be deer there because that's what we're hunting here, you know. And uh, right. so, so many times I have busted it in in the middle of nowhere and sat there all day, twiddled my thumbs, come out, and there's six deer to truck. And, you know, and then by day three, I realized, God, I'm an idiot. Why did I do this? Like, there's deer. Like, last year in Iowa, there was one spot that, uh, you know, and it was one of them deals. There was, it was kind of, we were, I was hunting with the, the other guys on the videos. Um, and we've hunted together forever and we kind of got like a little system. We hunt really well together and like we can really parse through an area together. And so he hit immediately. It's like playing battleship. He hit immediately and got on some big deer and I just kept striking out. I struck out for two weeks. But every time I was going to drop him off, as soon as you hit public private, talking right beside the road, I can't count how many good bucks I watched cross the road in my headlights before daylight and after dark. And I got to look at it and it was public. But I was so set in my ways of like, I got to get away from people. Everybody's going to be here. There's a parking lot right there. Like, what if these deer are just there because it's after dark? Well, the last couple of days, I'm like, heck, I have no other options. I don't feel good about anything. Let's just go see what's there. I saw like 11 deer that night and a good buck um, because it was the only standing corn around. And I didn't didn't realize that until the last two days. So that just goes to my point of that was just another lesson of you got to have an open mind and not be so set because if I would have just threw away my preconceived notion of I've got to get away from people. This is too obvious. I probably would have had a better chance. That's one thing I fall into. You know, you're talking about going into a public area. One thing I fall into is preconceived notions, things that I, I'm, I'm just hard-headed. If I can keep an open mind, I do a lot better. And just well, I think it, I think as humans, we have, as hunters, we have a, um, a way of doing things and it's kind of basing stuff off what's worked you know i'm gonna base my next hunt off of what worked the yeah. the past time so um i guess it's just part of being flexible it's what's really yeah, important it is you know? I'll, I'll also say and i've had this conversation with several people now and Dalton, i think you and i've had this conversation too but um you know we mentioned earlier with all the mapping software out there people are have a lot more confidence to go in deep and, and to get those places that ne didn't necessarily have that kind of confidence, you know, a decade or whatever ago. And I think animals learn just like we learn, obviously, but it seems like more and more the spots that I'm finding that are hot and have good deer sign are the little overlooked places. Because like Dalton said, you know, used to be a time if you walked a mile or two or three, you're going to have it to yourself. Now it's like, there's more people back there then there are all those little out of the way places. And there again, it's just the reason the deep stuff used to work and it's, and it's, it's all situational, but painting with a broad brush, the reason the deep stuff used to work is most people didn't do it. But now that more people are doing it, it seems like the closer overlooked under your nose type stuff is paying off because people are going deeper. Yeah. You know, they have that confidence from the mapping software or they just, you know, they're seeing it on YouTube. Maybe there's more people who are willing to go deeper, whatever the reason is. It's doing something a little different. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. it plays it plays the same thing in any any animal, right? In any uh, any location, right? It's like the same transferable 
knowledge as to what's taking place now on public land. I got some buddies that have gone out to Colorado the past three years to elk hunt. And this last year was the uh, the first year that they've really got on elk, you know, pretty consistent each day trying to bow kill one. And they said that they were on this uh, specific track where you got people that could go in on dirt bikes and they were going, you know, miles and miles back there. They didn't have that with them. They'd flown out there. And they said these elk were right on the perimeter when you'd go in and there was these little strips of like 10 to 15 acre private tracks that probably bunched up to four or five different tracks right there. And they said those elk were just, they were right there in these people's backyards, just tearing it up, absolutely tearing mm-hmm. it up because nobody was around there. Nobody's messing with them. Yeah. You know, I went out hunting uh, a few years ago, and a buddy of mine who lives out there, um, me and Bobby Parrott, went out. And we were like, "Man, we're gonna we're going in. We're not gonna hunt in the national forest. We're going to the wilderness area. We're getting deep." And he was like, "Man, do what you want to do with your hunt, but I'd hunt right here." Like, ah, oh, we're gonna go in deep. So we went in deep, and we saw people. We, I'm in the middle of absolute nowhere, and you're like, "My gosh, dude, what are you doing back here?" And they were looking at us like, "What are you doing back here?" Well, after about four or five days and not seeing anything other than hunters, we came back out to basically at the end of a long uh, forest road, forest service road, and we spent the rest of the time hunting there, and we got into elk, you know, just about every evening. It's the same thing, you know. The elk had figured out that not that many, just not that many people are going here. And just like you said, your buddies in Colorado, you know, with those those little tracks of private ground, that, those were all escape routes for those elk. So those, those elk knew, man, I can hang out here. And if, if some dude comes over this ridge, all I got to do is come over here and he's not going to follow me. Or if he's on this side, I can go to this piece of property, you know, and it's just, it's little pockets. And, and these animals are about surviving. They don't care how deep they go. Cause if you think about it, it's not deep is kind of irrelevant to an animal, right? Because they don't have to come back home. They don't have to come back and take a shower and go to work the next morning where they are is where they are. And they're going to be where they're, where they feel the safest and they have their needs met with, with security and, and, and food. That's exactly and that's right. going to be where people aren't. Exactly right. Well, I don't want to change gears uh, from the standpoint of talking about deer and elk because it, it gets me fired up uh, just like it does all of us. Uh, and it's right around the corner. But I do real quick want to ask, uh, do you, either of you have an exciting turkey hunt you want to share from this past season? I went three times and I made three hunts this year. And if if you listen to the podcast, Turkey, uh, my love hate relationships a lot deeper on the hate side. So I'm going to let Dalton field this one. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was a pretty rough season. Um, to say the least, we are, our birds are so down up here. Like, um, well, to be, I mean, to be honest with you, we all kind of, and, and I didn't make the exact same pack, but like all my buddies were like one and done, you know, we can kill two, but a lot of the, a lot of my buddies and, and Henson was one of them. It's just like, you're going to kill one and that's it. Just going to put, you know, going to put everything up after one, you know, they need if anything at that extra bird that I could have killed. We, we need that bird. Um, and, and things are that bad here. Like there's just, there's birds in pockets. Like if you've got a certain area, uh, certain areas there there'll be like a flock that's got a lot um but if you're not within calling distance of that flock um and when i mean that i mean just that little pocket of birds um you, you're doing a lot of hiking and i don't like hiking i'll be honest with you um and so it was a really long really hard season uh, just to be honest with you there really wasn't anything exciting to talk about um i, I had some birds scouted i scouted them for about about a month they're here close to the house and um i scouted them for about a month and had them pretty well i mean pretty well hammered down and uh, i got in there and uh you know the second day of the season i'm set up everything's perfect got birds below me i'm actually finishing up that like i had to sneak around make a big loop to get in there because i that i could hear i knew where they were i could hear them talking back and forth and the way the knoll laid i could get to the knoll that i needed to be on without them knowing i was there so i could hear them talking back and forth and i don't know if you've ever been in a flock of turkeys they're they're constantly talking like it's, it's never completely quiet they're always doing something and so i could hear them with the way the land laid i could get pretty close and so i got everything set up and uh, so it's, it's it's pretty urban i i could see the road i wasn't 100 yards above the road <laughs> and i'm sitting there I'm, I'm finishing up putting the decoys i got everything set and i'm turning around and getting the blind 
and I hear this really loud diesel coming off the road. And I'm like, you know, and this is like, this is like a road road. This ain't like a dirt road. This is like yellow line, state maintained road road. And uh, so it's like, this guy's slowing down. What is he doing? He pulls on the side of the road, steps around his truck, pulls out a shotgun, starts shooting. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I was like a hundred yards from me. <laughs> Man, I just sat down, hung my head. It's like, what do you do? You know? Yikes. I mean, what? I mean, I mean, I don't know. You know, and I, I, it was one of those deals where it's just like, what do you do in that situation? And I, I just chose to keep my mouth shut. I mean. I'm not really a computational type person anyway. And so, I was, you know, and it was on a different property. It was across the road. So, you know, I didn't have permission to be on that property and, oh, uh, it was frustrating, but that right there really took the wind out of my sails. Cause I had those birds, I had those birds dialed in. I had them, I had them Kirk Cabrera scouted, man. I had, <laughs> I had watched them a long time, but, uh, it, you know, and then after that, it was, and after that, you know, it was just burn a lot of ground and, and try to get one, but, uh, get one talking but they're just there's not enough birds for that anymore um used to there was a lot but i wish i had some kind of cool story to tell you but that's about as cool as it gets for me uh my dad had a great home up in the morning uh that'll be out on video next year next march we'll put that out yeah that's about it man. They, they pushed our season back two weeks to uh this year just for that reason because the numbers are so low and i don't i don't yeah, really I know anybody that's had a good season here i went out there i was out uh I was out near Nashville last weekend, turkey hunting, and uh, <laughs> there was poults. We, we were turkey hunting, and here comes a hen with poults all behind her. <laughs> all right, I think we're too late here. So we, we packed up and went scouting yeah. in Kentucky. But uh, mm. anyways, it was, uh, you know, one of those. But I don't know. I, I got faith. It's, it's, it's hard not to be kind of pessimistic because here where I live, I, you know, you see these videos, you see all these big pretty Christmas tree fields and, like, it's perfect turkey terrain. But man, the last few years, it's just, and it's like that everywhere. I think pretty much it's nosedives. Yeah. I, I think hunters will bring them back somehow, but I'm to the point now I I would advocate that we just cancel the season for a couple of years. Like it wouldn't bother me at all. Say North Carolina come out and said, Hey, we're going to let them, let them rest a year or two. Anyway, well, it was pretty but, lousy here to too. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah. it was a lousy season for me, but I'm not, I'm not a good Turkey hunter. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you guys and everybody listening. I'm, I'm not great. I hope to get better. But it was, yeah, it was, it was rough, man. Yeah. I had super high yeah, hopes I, that y'all, y'all were going to share this enlightening, exciting story just to, uh, to close us out. And you just yeah. com- completely, completely <laughs> derailed my hopes there. But it's same for me. Yeah, I, I, have no, I can't yeah, brag at all. Man. How, how we roll, man. How I wish, roll. I wish that I had something <laughs> to throw in there that was good, but it was just a, uh, it was just not. I mean, it was more eye-opening than anything because I, I cover a lot of ground. Like, I, I've got several places to hunt. I spend all – I am, like, a people person of all people persons. You can see that in my daughter. Like, I will talk – like, I embarrass the crap out of my wife. Like, if we go to the beach and we're, like, at a hotel, but if I get on – and if I get in an elevator with somebody, by the time we get to the bottom of that floor, I know their name. I know where they work. Um, I may or may not have their phone number. Like I'm that kind of like I talk to everybody, and so that lends itself to having some opportunities to hunt some different places and as many different places as I would go. It, it was the same story over and over again. And then when we did get birds to break, um, they were just really decoy shy. And I, one thing that that was and what that was exciting, I did see a lot of jakes this year compared to years past, which was very exciting. Um, yep, that's good to see those because you know I haven't been seeing jakes. In, in the last few years but the part that goes about with that is you know i don't know that a lot of guys have seen this but they will beat the crap out of tom like and and i saw a video the other day on facebook they killed a tom um and i had one this year the only exciting i, I lied i did have one halfway exciting when i had one like literally running to me to the point that i'm like hitting record on cameras and like can't can't get my bow in my hand fast enough running at me and two jakes came out of nowhere and just absolutely hammered him and i never seen him or heard of him again but it's it's on one hand it's 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 aggravating but on the other hand it's like well you know there should be more toms next year but anyway next year i do think always next year yeah i do think that's a common thread though across the country um i I haven't i haven't heard anybody that's just really enthused about turkey hunting lately 
Um, yeah, I, yeah. One of my best, one of my good, yeah, one of my good friends, uh, Jeff Holchin's son is, I talk to him, you know, every day. And that is, I'll be honest with you, one of the better turkey hunters I've ever been around in my life, period. And he's a younger guy, but he's absolutely unbelievable. And even he was having, I, I don't think he killed a bird in North Carolina. And which is just unheard of for him because he's phenomenal. So uh, it ain't just us. I mean, <laughs> there's there's a there's an issue there. Well, guys, it has been great talking to y'all. Um, y'all have shared a lot, especially about public land hunting, which I don't personally do, just because there's a whole bunch of private around here. But that is um that is very valuable, and I'm sure a lot of people love to hear that, as I did. But I'm gonna close us up in prayer, if uh, if you fellas don't mind. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this passion for hunting and fishing and in the love of the outdoors, Lord. Lord, I just wanna I just wanna bless all the things that we do and all the things that we say and Lord let them honor you and um everything that we do. Lord, I pray that you keep us all safe this uh this upcoming season and, and help us aim straight and make ethical shots, Lord, and pray all this in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank y'all. We appreciate it. Hey, appreciate you guys having us on. It was fun. Yeah, yeah it was fun. It. We'll, we'll have to do it again another time. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah.